You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark. Professionalising women's sports isn't just a nice to do that everyone, you know, should be doing to tick some boxes. It makes absolute business sense. We cannot be so complacent to think that the game itself and netball fans is enough for us to grow the sport off. We have got to develop a brand and a feel and a sportainment package and a digital package that matches it. We are the most untapped potential sport in the UK at the moment. And with the right investment, we can start to unlock a lot of that potential and build a pretty powerful proposition. That's terrible. That is awful. Anyway, Richard Clark, bad guitarist. Hopefully slightly better podcaster, sports content strategy podcast this week. My guest, Claire Nelson, who is the CEO of Netball Scotland and also the Sirens, who are the only professional netball team in Scotland. Interesting chat because women's sport, thankfully, has seen growth in the last couple of decades. Women's football, we can see that. On most weekends in England, women's tennis, you've got a lot of parity, most, mostly parity, I believe, in terms of uh, pay. Women's boxing, we're about to see Amanda Serrano and Katie Taylor become the uh, first female fighters to headline at Madison Square Garden. So things are on the up, but they have existed and grown up within the shadow of a male sport. That doesn't really happen, that hasn't really happened, that can't really happen with netball, because... There isn't a male version of it, or not a major male version of it, shall we say. So it's pretty much a blank page. And you can create a league, and you can create a competition, an event, with a very much a female focus, because that's going to be what your audience is. And Claire digs down into this. She's very focused on building something that is different from male sport in terms of the event itself, the product, the messaging around it, the story surrounding it, all those things. And so it's an opportunity to do something different. It's a different content challenge, marketing challenge. As I say, my name is Richard Clark. I'm a sports content strategist, run my own consultancy. So if you need any help with that regard, you can find me at mrrichardclark.com or on all social media at mrrichardclark, E on the end of Clark. That's all you really need to know. What else? Oh, yes, we're sponsored by Sports Tech Match. There's an advert in the middle for more details. And also you can see the show notes for all the links to their product. But otherwise, should we just get on with it? Let's talk women's netball. Growing a sport without any male forebear. And let's talk growing a different brand and a different story. With this lady. Thanks for speaking to me, Claire. So this podcast goes around the world. Uh, so just give us the sort of foundation stone of where netball is in this country and its recent history because obviously it seems to have accelerated in the last five to ten years as well so about the league about what you do about what you do at club and national level just just those ground rules sure so not much then no perfect (laughs) easy Uh, first question 
<laughs> e- easy first question. Tell me everything. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, well, netball. First of all, it's massive in the summer, southern hemisphere. So you know, uh, if we've got global audience, they'll be sitting going, "We are, we get this. We're on billboards. We fill out arenas. You know, our our athletes are superstars. It is a female team sport. Um, it's growing in terms of the men's game, but it's a it's a female led sport, female dominated sport, um, which is really exciting. But it's it's mainly big in Africa's uh, the Caribbean. You've got the home nations here in the UK and Australia. And that's about it, which is why we're not quite in the Olympics yet, but we're working towards that. But participation rates are absolutely massive in those regions. And particularly here in the UK, we've seen a massive growth, uh, I would say, over the last 10 years. Um, Big participation numbers down in England. I think they've got over 100,000 members, but that doesn't represent actually the playing numbers. They've got a strong infrastructure and that has led to huge success on the the world stage with them winning gold at the Commonwealth Games and, and really challenging those top two nations of Australia, New Zealand to be one of the best in the world. Uh, Here in Scotland, we've seen huge growth as well, um, largely thanks to us hosting the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow in 2014. It's the first time that we had participated in the Games. We kind of got in because we were hosting um, and and we got that ticket. And what it allowed us to do is to showcase this sport that actually the majority of women had played and participated in at school. Tiny little history lesson. We are not on the curriculum here in Scotland because in the 80s there was a PE teacher strike. So instead of them being able to teach women, uh, girls and boys separately, everything went co-ed. And so they taught basketball in schools. So that falling off the curriculum had a massive impact to us and something that we're still, although we are, I think, second or third most um, participated sport in schools, it has had an impact on on that um, infrastructure and that pathway that we had. But we got a big light shone on us at the Commonwealth Games and we were ready to go with a legacy program called Bounce Back to Netball that said all these women that see it and go, do you know what, that looks really good. How do I get involved? Well, we were ready to go. And we had recreational social netball programs all over the country. And it saw us leave the uh, or exit out of the Commonwealth Games as the Scottish governing body that um, saw the biggest rise in membership growth and participation growth. So we understood how to leverage a world event and the invisibility. And we've been growing ever since um, around that. So I came into post six years ago. Uh, I love the sport, but, you know, my background is, um, is business and I was working for a global tech organization, literally traveling the States, Asia, doing huge multimillion dollar deals with some of the biggest brands in the world. And I thought the only way we are going to unlock women's sport is to bring business and commercial into it because audience um the target audience is massive you know not just looking at 52 percent of the population is female but actually what you can start to do with redesigning and developing a team sport how you can professionalize it we've got the super league here so you've got a sky sports televised arena league a professional kind of component part of it we've got world events we hosted the world cup in liverpool in 2019 But unless we unlock the um, income streams into the sport and we start to think about how we present it and digitize it, we were always going to be limited. So I joined six years ago. We launched our own Super League club, the Strathclyde Sirens. Um, I uh, launched it under the umbrella of changing the game. Um, I can tell you every statistic around women's sport from investment, media coverage, uh, participation, leadership, everything. But I don't want to just talk about it. 
And I don't want to just speak to rooms of women about women's sport. I want to change the game. So that's what we thought we would do behind our professional club. But what we also wanted to do was not only be competitive on the court and to strengthen our national program through um, giving a, a better, you know, uh, training and competition environment to our national athletes, having a, a better feeder pathway for young talent. It wasn't just about what happened on court. In fact, almost that was. Uh, secondary to what I was trying to build. I wanted to build a women's sports brand that was credible and spoke to women and unlocked what I feel the potential is around female sports. Professionalizing women's sports isn't just a nice to do that everyone, you know, should be doing to tick some boxes. It makes absolute business sense because women make 86% of all consumer purchasing decisions globally. They are powerful influencers when you look at young people particularly and, and how they're consuming social media, it opens up a massive opportunity. And then when you start to think about the impact that having better role models and that visibility and having that platform of sport, which is the most powerful and harnessing globally, then you can start to change a broken system. So that's why I'm in it. Where we are currently is we are actually, with COVID shutting us down as a sport, it offered a massive opportunity to us because last year Sky said we're going to put the Super League, 11 clubs play, playing competitively over five months, going to put it behind closed doors and we are going to show every single game. This had never been done before. Currently or previously, maybe uh, we'd had one linear TV game a week and a couple of highlights, but every single game was shown. And they were also shown on Sky Sports YouTube, which I absolutely was pushing because I think when you think about, again, who your audience is and how they want to consume sport, YouTube brings a whole new dimension of accessibility and visibility. So last year we went behind closed doors. The product looked phenomenal. Every game was shown. It allowed us to run a more digitally focused engagement campaign across our socials. I also ran a campaign called Headlines Not Sidelines. And I was like making the Scottish, uh, Scottish media cover our sport because actually there was nothing else happening. And this Scottish team was playing in this league and we were winning and we were putting out some amazing performances. And so just by allowing ourselves to have a more focused approach to what our um, kind of visibility and engagement campaign was, it saw us have our most successful season ever. And off the back of that, I bought in new sponsors. We have built new fan bases and we're really now starting to think about as we're now back into um, live arena events again where we go next. So as a league in sport, we're hugely ambitious. We have uh, publicly said that we are now looking to bring investment into the league. And where we're sitting now is the ability to design the future of this sport um, in ways that I don't believe has been done before around a team sport or professional sport, because we don't have an existing or a male counterpart behind us that says, this is how we run our leagues and competitions. And for me, driving the, uh, creating a sort of brand proposition, an annualized brand proposition, putting campaigns around it, storytelling around the athletes who, you know, should be front and center of what we do, engaging with, with women, girls, young people, but also bringing, you know, making it inclusive and diverse, because this isn't just about women and girls, but 
it, it's I'm unapologetic about the work that needs to be done there. Um, and we, you know, I'm hoping that through this next transformational period, that as a sport, we come together and we really push innovation. And we just don't think about how do you get more bums on seats in arena in a, in a five month league? And actually, how do we create a bit of a super brand? And here in the UK, how do we compete and surpass with what our um, friends over in the Southern Hemisphere are doing? So it's a, it's a really interesting time for us, really exciting but massively full of challenges because we don't have all those central revenues from broadcast deals and ticket sales and, you know, rich philanthropists who are just fans of our, you know, everything that backs football and rugby and men's sport. We don't have that. So um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point for us. Let's just dig down into the storytelling part of that. Obviously that was, that was a very long answer, very wide answer as, as we expected. Um, but let's dig down into the storytelling because that's, you know, this is sports content, content mm. strategy. And one of the interesting things, the really interesting things is, you know, netball is seen as a female sport at the moment. Mm-hmm. That it is. Mm-hmm. So, but most of the marketing that goes around general sport is kind of male focused. It, it tends to be male focused. Even, you know, I've worked in major league soccer. I've done work with US swimming and things like that. And you could argue a lot of the purchasing was done by women. Uh, you said 86%, right? Mm. But a lot of the marketing was done, I think, more towards men. So how are you leveraging this laser focus that you can have on, on women? And how does that come through in the storytelling? You know, because psychologically, everybody always says men are interested in things and women are interested in people. Very, 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 very broadly. Um, so does that sort of thinking come through in your storytelling? Because you've got to flip it a certain way, because at the moment, presumably your focus is making this a, an extremely strong female sport and then mm. de- then develop the diversity brand. Yeah, uh, 100 percent. So I think going to that point that women are interested in people, it, we absolutely see that. We see that in what uh, our audiences engage with on social media. And when we talk about mental health, when we talk about women's health, even when we do tutorials on skincare and faith, and they, there is massive, massive engagement. Our We have a lot of big fans, uh, like diehard netball fans, but we actually don't have enough at the moment that is making us a superpower in sport. So we've got to reach new fans and new audiences. And for me, what I talk about is I want to build a sports and lifestyle brand. Now, if you think about where, um, so let's think about football at the moment. You know, I, I, I'm based at the Emirates Arena and we have Celtic Park, Parkhead across the road. So they're a big, you know, big Scottish team, but actually big global brand. Once you have sold every season ticket, every brick outside it, all your you know, hospitality packages, where do you go next and what else are you selling? They will always have, there is a culture that is innate at the moment that if you are a male, let's be stereotypical, but if you're a male fan of a football team, then it's likely your son will be the same and it will follow down and you will have similar habits. What we're looking for is diversification. So, Celtic in the same way now are looking at building their women's team they're looking at esports they're looking at new global markets and so on what women give you is an untapped audience that you can diversify and you can monetize so in order to engage them though you've then also got this cultural piece that women haven't and don't typically spend time or money on being sports fans 
there'll be loads of women on here all go I am I get that there are fans out there but to the volume that we need that starts to represent powerful filling audiences you know sorry filling stadiums you know becoming powerful as sports fans that isn't quite there yet and I see it all the time women there's the kind of the guilt complex or uh, I'm already spending money on this whereas men I, I love the example I was on a business course uh, with um guys who are business owners and one of them was uh, like I, I literally I, I leave my house at six in the morning I don't come home till 11 I work seven days a week I don't see my kids I don't see my wife I miss all of it you know it was just like I work 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 and I said do you support a football team he said yeah I do I said do you have a season ticket he went yeah and I said do you go to all the games he said I do and I said do you go to the away games if they're in the Champions League he said absolutely I'd be there and I said so you are and I said why are you doing that and he went because I'm part of something because I've always done it because it's an escape and he didn't even challenge that that was his habit whereas women don't think like that there's a little bit of that kind of guilt complex around it so that's why young people for me and young females, young people are absolutely a target because when you look at netball at the moment, the majority of our arenas are full of teenage girls, probably from kind of late primary school to uh, across secondary school who are playing the game or following the sport and are turning up. They have to be the future. So what we've got here is how do we work against cultural thinking and habits how do you uh, sell a sport that isn't massively visible? And how are we building long-term brand affinity um, uh, around this sport and the clubs? And that is absolutely through the digital storytelling. And it's one, you know, one of the things that I'm most proud of um, that we lead the way globally, actually, in our sports sirens in what we create because if you love netball and you love our sport, then you're going to follow us anyway. And our content looks great. And, you know, we've got all of that. But actually, how do you hook people that you haven't seen? So a lot of that TikTok is massive for us at the moment. Our girls are young. Our, our players are young. They're cool. They're creating the content, not us. You know, not we're not telling them corporately what to do, but we've got hundreds of thousands of likes and followers and people then go onto your page on our um, Instagram, we talk a lot about, you know, fashion, health, lifestyle, opening up all those conversations that are important to women that no one's having. So I just see us as a platform. By doing that, by being authentic, um, by being passionate and by being cool and credible in how we're putting it out, we don't speak and talk like an NGO or a charity or an agency. You know, we've got these cool, dynamic athletes and we're telling stories and we're opening them up and we're working with partners to do that we're seeing really strong engagement and do you know what partners want to invest in that as well which is really powerful for us what we're lacking honestly is consistency in that approach across the league so at the moment we operate like 11 clubs and then you've got the super league and we are not actually maximizing that kind of collective brand position and strong campaign messaging and storytelling as a whole but I think we'll get there and certainly part of this kind of investment professionalization transformation that we want journey that we want to go on over the next two years that's going to be a big piece that I try and drive through my role on the Super League board. And in the pre-chat we had your vision seemed to be different 
from general sport in that you wanted kind of a smaller, intense arena event with a huge digital presence off the back of it, which is a little, am I right? In, is, am I, have I characterised um, that correctly? Kind of. I, I think for me is I just don't want us to get absolutely fixated on sport being all about the competition and the bums on seats because you're going to limit yourself. So, you know, when I when we look at last season, for example, you know, our YouTube um, coverage with Sky, you know, we were getting between 30 and 50,000 eyeballs on that. You know, when you look at what you get, if we get onto Sky Arena, we've got really good numbers around that linear. At the moment, our biggest arena that, you know, if we think about Birmingham, you can get 9,000 bums on seats there. So there is nothing better than a live sports experience. And we've got to build that product. We've got to build that proposition. And for me, you know, actually looking at sportainment and lifestyle and what that entire experience is, is really important. But it shouldn't be the limit. And and for me, the more eyeballs you have on a sport, the more powerful you are and how you capture that data and what that looks like and how we do that. I have no idea. But but digital is the future. And I sat, you know, I'm so lucky to go to so many sports events, but I sat at Twickenham um, a, a few weeks ago and there were like short of, I don't know, 80, 90,000 people in there. And it and it was there were a few young people, but it's largely an older audience and it's an established fan audience. And I think about my children, I have four kids and I'm like, are they going to go to an arena to support their sport week in, week out? They are sitting on their phones. They are consuming sport and entertainment in different ways. And so I think if the, the beauty, the kind of sweet spot would be to be able to have both, to be able to sell out massive arenas, to have 10, 15, 20,000 arenas, seated arenas, and to have that visibility as well. But right now, eyeballs, look at esports, look at esports, you know, look at some of the biggest streaming platforms and content platforms in sport in the world. Um, I just think we have to future proof and we have to innovate and we have to try new things and I would really hope that we don't build a league concept that is just based on a slightly bigger better version of the linear arena um, product that we have now because we should be looking to build a super brand through through our sport. So where are you looking for that for examples of 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 super brands I mean PSG have tried to brand Paris they're trying to get Neymar in in uh Leisure wear that you you want to wear because it's good leisure wear, not just that it's yes. related to PSG. Is that kind of where you're looking with with this sort of lifestyle brand, but above and beyond that? One hundred percent, and that's why we worked with Nike this year as well because I was like, this isn't just about you know buying um, replica kit. You should be coming to us, and we should be leading the way with actually fashion innovation and you know it's women so we should be selling everything you know so when I think about what netball could be and again you know look at Formula One they don't compete in an Olympics or a World Cup or anything like that they've built a super brand that people most of their fans will never get to go and see live but it's you know they're buying the merch they're consuming it through apps and online and watching it and we have we could do that with netball we could do that with netball to start to storytell around the 
the athletes to widen out what that league looks like so that yes you've got your super league but how do we have champions league good pre-seasons we've got innovations around the game things called fast fives where you've only got five players as opposed to seven on court rolling subs you can shoot from outside the circle our ability to create and innovate and design and engineer our sport is absolutely in our hands and I think that that's really exciting and so when you think about a female audience and you know what they buy and and how they buy and everything I mean I've, I've shopped on on Instagram already this morning because something's popped up you know we could do that but what we could also do is start to drive meaningful change and this is where we need to look at leadership and education and empowerment and health and well-being because nobody is doing that on a scale just targeted two and four women through sport sport has the power to change and we know that yet there are still no openly gay men in the, the the football premier league here and there is still you know massive issues with racism and so although there are campaign messages actually it's not using its power to stamp out and and to drive change and i think we could do that with netball it's just what that product and proposition looks like and where you start is something we've all got to agree on because i'm not at the helm uh, leading all of this mm. what about player pathways because um oh. the salary cap is seventy thousand, is it a year i think i'm right yeah. saying yeah um so you know, my daughter played netball at school um she's moving that now more back into football but what football's done in in the recent and there are comparisons with the way women's football has developed yeah. and, and 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 potential lessons there for for netball i would think but you tell me but but she can see a pathway into playing that sport professionally much much greater than she would have done a few years ago mm. with netball and the money in it how how important how high higher up in your priority list is it to get your players paid a bit better make sure they can become professionals it is absolutely essential that we do that um that we are and and you know the idea of uh, being a professional athlete is an interesting one as, as well one that i talk a lot about because not everyone will want to be a full-time athlete but for me professionalism um, is about choice and that choice comes from being able to if you are go want to play professionally that you are remunerated effectively that you have the right support system around that and you know you've got to think about wanting to have babies and returning you know that it's not it's far more complex for, for women, but what is that life after sport journey? So there's a whole piece there around education and being able to pursue other professional interests and pa passions. But we need to develop the best talent. And we also want to attract the best talent because we bring overseas athletes in from Africa, the Caribbean, Australia, New Zealand. We want to be the best league in the world then we have got to pay the salaries that, that match that. Um, and we've, so at the moment, it's better than it ever has been before. And there'll be a lot of kids in England that if they're talented, we'll see. Well, if I'm in the national program uh, full time and getting a fee and I'm in a club getting a fee, then actually you can earn. And then you do all your appearances and coach. You can earn an, a decent salary actually from it, but it's not consistent. And there are still too many athletes making massive choices, huge sacrifices personally and professionally. Uh, and again, it limits us. So, um, you know, a massive focus for us moving forward needs to be ensuring that we are able to pay our athletes to 
to be fully, fully professional and that we can compete with the best in the world or the best leagues in the world in terms of what we offer. And again, you know, that's a, that's a full package. And, and this is, you know, we work really closely with the NPA, the Players Association. When I, again, when I talk about this, this is where we could be really industry leading because the physical and mental pressures on an athlete are huge and they are slightly different for females. So this is where we should be looking at wrapping around a, a really powerful structure that ensures that these athletes can perform the way they want to and be the best version of themselves on the court, but off the court, we're also supporting and developing them um, as well, because there are too many examples of mental health issues or uh, compromises around, you know, wanting to have children, health issues, what happens afterwards, you know, just as you would expect in industry outside of sport, the best organizations really look after their employees. We need to, to make sure that, that we are creating industry leading standards around professionalization of female athletes. The digital transformation of the sports industry continues to accelerate. We've seen technology play a huge role both on and off the field to drive new business models and help us reimagine how sport is played and officiated. As the number of technology vendors in the market increases exponentially, Sports Tech Match saves rights owners time wasted speaking to the wrong vendors. The platform enables federations, leagues, clubs and other sports organisations to quickly and confidently identify and connect with the right solutions. Sports organisations at all levels can use Sports Tech Match's unique and anonymous request for information service to create and submit their requirements to a growing community of trusted vendors. Go to sportstechmatch.com for more. Let's take football as an example, which has made step change in the last... 15 years, 20 years. I mean, I remember when I first went to Arsenal, Alex Scott was playing for Arsenal and she was washing the first team's kit. She worked in the laundry. Uh, That's wow. what she was doing. Um, because, but that, I think she, I think at the time, from what I recall when I interviewed her, she was kind of happy with that because she was in the first team training and that allowed her to be pretty much a professional athlete because she was involved in a, a, an elite sporting um, arena. You know, she was working for, a, for an elite club. That was a, an okay thing. Now she's gone on to much greater things above and beyond football. But, but, but let's look at football. What lessons do you, do you take from football? Um, what things do you think you can improve on the, the, the way football's developed? And in what ways is it not comparable? Um, I think in the not comparable bit is the fact that we don't have an, you know, an established sport behind us. So whilst that gives huge advantages to football and has seen this massive growth because there's an existing infrastructure there, um, we don't have that. So it, it poses challenges, but also opportunities. But, you know, I've been lucky to be at Wembley for the Women's FA Cup. Uh, final and to see you know crowds of 45 50,000 just to see that really professional setup and I think you know when I look at women's football I don't look at it in isolation like look at the amazing thing women's football's doing I'm looking at oh, oh, the men's game is now deciding to invest better into the women's game you know and that's what it comes down to and it's it, in that FA Cup final that I went to the winning team got 25,000 pounds. And it was actually from the 
uproar from that because I, I can't remember what the the men's team was but it was in the millions you know comparably 25 grand it's nothing it's absolutely nothing so now pressure has been put on and they've now increased that so you know playing in a big stadium paying your athletes well um giving them access to good competition you know sponsoring them digital that's not new it's just new for women's sport. And what you can see now is the benefits going back to that diversification, even if you wanted to do it in the most cold commercial way possible. Well, you know, having a women's side is going to give you access to more games, more fans, more sponsors, more commercials, more events, more community. And it, and it adds that on. So I love seeing that growth. I'm passionate about what's happening in women's football, but I just am frustrated that it isn't further along because football is the most powerful sport. They know how to do it. They know how to command the big broadcast deals, sponsorship deals, fill an arena and sell their sport. They just have chosen to not invest that prioritization money and focus into the women's game to the same or, or even, you know, a, a, a big kind of, chunk of of what's happening with the males game they could do that with the the women's game um however i was speaking to somebody yesterday who is uh, i love barcelona i love love barcelona i love what angel city are doing is two kind of football examples at the moment but she was at new camp for that women's um champions league game and ninety thousand people and she said the atmosphere was incredible. I mean, she is in sport. She goes to absolutely everything um, in sport. And she said it felt no different to being, for example, at a Twickenham or a, you know, a Wembley for a, a men's final. The activation outside it, you know, around the ground was amazing. So you, there are those examples there of where, you know, a club um, or a league really wants to invest credibly in the women's game. You can see how that is reaping benefits because wouldn't everyone want 90,000 people for the women's game as well as the men's game? Yeah. I, I mean, I watched the, the, um, the sirens game. They're on a couple of days ago on sky uh, and I, I watched hey. it and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, is there a need at the moment with the product you've got, is there a need to, to quickly take it out of the leisure center setting? Cause that's kind of where it mm -hmm. is at the moment. And there's yeah. a, a limitation with that in terms of crowd, in terms of what you could potentially do, but also the, the visual product as, as well. It looks it looks smallish at the moment because it's clearly in a leisure centre. Is there a need to develop that quickly into make it an arena sport? And how quickly do you think you, you could do that if that is the plan? Oh, you're being so polite with that. Um, I, I, <laughs> I Also, can we just make sure that everyone knows we did win that game and uh, we won really well? But, oh, absolutely, Richard, I speak really openly all the time about what that product is and that's why you know if you actually watch the games last year um although we had no crowds i mean it was beautiful it was we did half of it in wakefield which was actually um a studio it does like kind of music events half of it in copper box blacked out leds you know the production was phenomenal and it looked great if you look at the central events that england netball do again you know either in the um it's the copper in, box in, have they been in the copper box, box? yeah do copper box or birmingham's a great one for us you have nine thousand people in there and you've got the court looks great and you've got you know all the digital screen that is what we need to emulate uh, we've got a, an arena event. So we play in the Emirates Arena Sirens and we've got two halls. So we, the back halls will ho can hold just short of 2000. But the main arena 
can hold 5,000 and it's got that look and feel of it. Um, but, you know, at the moment, we don't have the fan base to fill it week in, week out. That's where we need to get to. But we're hosting an arena event on the, the 14th of May. And we for us, like it's so important to get that product right, because that's what will then go out to, onto our socials. That's what we then put to sponsors and go, this is what the sport couldn't could look like. But you're absolutely right. We're inconsistent at the moment. We look amateurish and there is nothing worse for me. You know, I know that every single one of my colleagues and friends across all the clubs that we are working so hard and you can only work with what you've got. But, you know, some of these half empty university sports halls and we've got different looks and feels and the, the crowds, the sports press is different. It's 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 amateurish. And, you know, we've got to get that product that when you turn on the TV or you turn up to a game, you know that you are at the Super League. Um, and it's exciting because what happens on court is good. But what happens around it and even I've been to a couple of games and I've arrived. So when you come to our game, we have for an hour before full concourse activation because it is young people. So the girls, you know, we've got face painting and get your hair done. You've got come and try. You've got shooting challenges. You've got TikTok, digital food, drink, partner activation. Sometimes we can't get people in their seats because there's so much going on. We do a lot around our hospitality. We've got branded courtside boxes. We're the only team that does that kind of to that level and so we've got us we we cannot be so complacent to think that the game itself and netball fans is enough for us to grow the sport off we have got to develop a brand um and a feel and a sportainment package and a digital package that matches it and i think that kind of is my message that i keep pushing forward this isn't just about a league you know we might as well you, know, you cannot be professional if you're just thinking about playing some competition um and who wins at the end of it it's got to be about the whole product yeah I mean that my time in major league soccer taught me that because you come in from in England and everyone has their own team and you know I will travel 300 miles to see Arsenal win and if it's a terrible experience and it rains and the pies are bad and the coffee's bad if my team win in the last minute the goal goes off of fullbacks backside I'm happy that's happy days because I'm just worried about winning when, can, I, go- can I ask have you, have you yeah. been to see the Arsenal women play do you yeah, go, I, do you just follow the men's game or do you do you support Arsenal as a club and the women's game as well yeah I support them I, I um well I went to the Chelsea FA Cup final that, that, that you mentioned um but I used to cover them I see I like to think I've supported women's sport because um, I covered Arsenal when Arsenal Arsenal ladies at the time when it wasn't trendy. It was basically mm. me and another fella were the only people covering them um, um, in the days when Claire Wheatley was playing, when Faye White was yeah. you know right at the start of her career, and lo- Arsenal have been very consistent in that sense. I mean, what is and and so you know we go occasionally to go and see. Arsenal, Arsenal women play now um, because my daughter plays and we want to give her positive role models. You know, it's and, and the interesting thing is I live just up the road from the University of Hertfordshire uh, and there's a team. Um, it's um, Mavericks. Yes, Ma- the Mavericks. Yes. And if she was if she was still playing netball, I would have taken her because I want her to see some role models. And, you know, she's more into football at the moment. So we're going to the women's Euros. Uh, going to the final and we're going to an England game. But partly that is because it's really dirt cheap. That's the other thing that's a factor here, right? It's yeah. we've, got, we've got four tickets to the final 
and four tickets to an England group game. So we're guaranteed to see England. The whole thing, that's eight tickets, 135 quid. Right? And that's hugely yeah. important in terms of fat family of four, right? And that's, that's you know, that's um, massively um, important. I forgot my, what I was going to ask now. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was because I started asking you. I was actually at the Etihad uh, and I watched Arsenal um, women play Wolfsburg recently. And it was right. a really... It was a really good event, actually. But um, yeah, sorry, sorry, I threw you off track there. No, it was what I was talking about is Colorado. When we're in Colorado, the yeah. emphasis on the the entertainment side, the whole package was incredibly important. It was an event yeah. of which you know we had to sell ourselves on the fact that there was a period of time where only us and the and the baseball team was playing because we were the smallest market with all five sports, and we're a nice Saturday night out, cheap ticket bring the family along but we had to make sure the entertainment the the tailgating was good the entertainment bands playing it was as important to get the bands right as it was to win to win the game Mm -hmm. it it seemed at times and that's a very different focus for traditionally male dominated uk sport where it's about just get a winning team just get a winning team i think we need to move move beyond that and that's the interesting part of what you're talking about with with and that's what i love and that's what we do so well at sirens and we had a game a few weeks ago um because i'm always trying to build that sportainment piece and we had a game and i just stood afterwards and i was like ah you know everyone's like oh we did a good job we're professional you know everyone enjoyed it and i was like it just felt a little bit like that kind of you know, a, a, a good netball game in a sports hall. And I was like, I want to, I want it to feel like a party. I want people to leave. And at this point as well, you know, if you think about young people at this moment in time, they've been in lockdown, you know, social anxiety is at an all time high. Women and girls have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. Their mental health is, has never been lower. At this point as well, you've got a war in Ukraine happening. Kids are stressed, they're anxious. And what I want to what I want to do is let people just forget for a minute and feel good and feel like they're part of something. So we called out our fan base, the Sirens Tribe, because I was like, how do you build that kind of you're part of something? So we, we had we, I, I said, we're changing this. And I was like, we're going to drop the lights. We're going to do a neon party, tell everyone to get dressed up. We, we looked at our music. We looked at what that kind of what we did on the concourse, what our halftime was. We moved it away from kind of shooting challenges and we just did kind of sing-alongs. I think we had Sky at the game. We got my nephew to drive on and be ball deliver on his little car, which made Sky Sports News the next day. We created talkability, entertainment. I was being interviewed um, by Sky at halftime and I had glitter on my face and I said, you know, people, we've waited two years for this, for live sport, let's make it a party. And it absolutely, it was our most talked about, we didn't win the game. And honestly, it it was fine. It it didn't matter because we played well. We entertained on court for 60 minutes, but off it, everybody left buzzing. Everyone was talking about what we'd done and, and how we made them feel. And I think, you know, I live in Glasgow, so I see the old firm. I see what that... I'm going to use the, the language tribal, even though I've got my fat, but it has to be about winning or losing and the aggression that comes around it. Of course you want to win. There's nothing better. I'm the most competitive person in the world. I'm five years in this league and I still haven't lifted a trophy and I hate it. But what I'm building is a brand that people feel great affection for. And we've bought, we've built so many English fans this year, which for a Scottish team, never been heard of before. We've got people buying our merch in Australia and and on the continent because people love that feel of 
our team are like family, our match days are, are, are incredible. And so if I'm going to build something sustainable and I want people to want to come back, if I only focus on what's happening on court, then I'm going to limit my audience. If I start to create a big party atmosphere. And, you know, I talk about the arena event that we've got on May the 14th. We're doing that with Capital Radio. They're going to host the party. We've got their um, lead host coming because we are creating sportainment and a completely different feel. And that for me is, and, you know, the digital around it will be massive, but that for me is where our opportunity lies. And if we're not getting with the program that this is what we need to grow and, you know, create and deliver as a sport, um, then we're only really going to appeal to those people who are fans of the sport. What would a good Scotland performance at the Commonwealth Games do for the, obviously the sport in general, but obviously mm. the 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 sirens? Because I, you know, I, the Commonwealth Games is far below the Olympics in terms of the way it resonates with the country. But I do remember Tracy Neville's team beating the Aussies, yeah. you know, last. Last shot was it? I remember. I remember Final it. second. Yeah, right, exactly. I, I remember the shot in my mind. I can see it, and I, you know, I don't remember too many netball shots. I think I it won. Remember. I think I think it won BBC Sporting Moment of the Year because it literally was, you know, against world number ones on their home turf, never been done before. Yeah. Last second penalty goal by one point, and they won it. And you know something, Commonwealth Games isn't where the Olympics are, but for netball with where the sport is at the moment to be part of a domestic Commonwealth Games right in the heart of England in, in Birmingham in the arena with England defending their their Commonwealth gold we will have eyeballs on us now Scotland as a national team we have a really high profile a lot of that is because of me because of how I've come in and how I talk about the sport um, how I try to innovate the sport just our brand but performance wise we have never performed against our potential so after the 2019 world cup we made some changes and uh, i have brought in a head coach who is english who has won the super league who is the most she's the face of analysis on sky she's one of the most high profile well-liked well-loved credible coaches in world netball if not england what that has done is for my team it brings in and she's brought in as her assistant coach um and in last year's winning coach from the super league she's an england player so i've got my performance director as a as an england ex-england player coach so i've got a system here of credible coaches who are getting the most out of my young athletes we've got because we've got potential but it's going to probably take another cycle before you know they've got the experience under the belt that they need um but we're going in this we're eighth in the world and we want to finish top eight in the commonwealth games um, we want to put out credible performances we want to challenge but by having those coaches anyway it puts eyeballs on scotland so with everything that i do i'm like how do i improve the performance how do i strengthen the infrastructure how do i build a sustainable system but how do i increase our profile and engage talkability around my team my brand my nation so you know people say that they talk about punching above your weight uh, I don't think the size of your nation or where you sit in world rankings defines whether you're world class or not, because I think I certainly, you know, have shown that by the talent that I, I can bring into the system and what we do off the court, we're absolutely world leading. So Com Games is going to be pivotal for us. We then in October in Glasgow, we're hosting the World Cup qualifiers. 
Um, and it is critical that we make the World Cup in South Africa in 2023. And for us, our eyes are on the prize of really trying to challenge those top six at the World Cup in Cape Town next year. Last question. Let's put you on the spot. What's the single thing that over the next couple of years would make the biggest change to the development of netball in the UK? Money. So it's the simplest thing in the world. We need money. We, it, you know, we need we need to get this investment in, but we also need to, you know, generate our income streams through bigger and better sponsorship deals. And you talked earlier about how cheap it is to get multiple tickets. I, I always talk about sponsors. Bang for your buck. Like you could take naming rights of my national team right now for what you would get or, you know, a a logo on the back of a shirt of a, of a football team. It's invest in women's sport. We need central revenues from broadcast deals. We need to create this annualized proposition, but with money, we can pay our players more. We can bring in more. We can make a business out of our sport. We can create more opportunities. We can open arenas. We can, the world's our oyster. We are the most, untapped potential sport in the UK at the moment. And with the right investment, um, we can start to unlock a a lot of that potential and build a pretty powerful proposition. Claire Nelson, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. You can find sports content strategy on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com. Richard Clark.